Hello, everyone, and welcome to the trustee table. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Mark Brackett. Mark is Director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and Professor in the Child Study Center at Yale University. His research focuses on the role of emotional intelligence in learning, decision-making, relationship quality, well-being, academic performance, and school climate. He has published over 125 articles and is a recipient of numerous awards. He is the lead developer of RULER, an evidence-based approach to social-emotional learning that has been adopted by over a thousand public, charter, and private schools across the United States and other countries. RULER provides training for school leaders, educators and staff, students and families, and has been shown to enhance well-being, academic performance, and school climate. His latest book, Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive, was published in September. Mark, thank you so much for taking a seat at the table today. My pleasure. I'm excited to talk with you. Thank you. So we all know the value of emotional intelligence, and I think board chairs really know how valuable emotional intelligence is when they try and manage so many people from so many professional backgrounds. So for those unfamiliar with your work, how would you define emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence, you know, at the highest level is essentially using our feelings and emotions wisely. Uh, when we get into the granularity of the skills, we use the acronym RULER to describe them, and there are five. The first is recognizing emotions. That has to do with both self-awareness and social awareness. How am I feeling? How are other people feeling? Do I pick up on the cues in people's facial expressions, body language, vocal tone? The second skill is understanding emotions. Do I know the difference between different feeling states? What causes me to have anger versus frustration versus anxiety or fear. The third is labeling emotions, having the precise words to differentiate within a feeling. So for example, there's many gradations of anger. I could be peeved, irritated, angry, or enraged. The fourth skill is expressing emotions, knowing how and when to express emotions across different contexts. And finally, the last big skill is the regulation of emotion, having strategies to both manage my own emotions, but help people manage theirs. So I could see how this would definitely play out in the boardroom um, as, as different people are kind of working together, trying to do some strategic planning and trying to sort of navigate some pretty, pretty complicated issues that face our independent schools today. So you begin your book by presenting a compelling argument for why we must become, in your words, emotional scientists. So what are some ways that heads of school and board chairs might assess the emotional intelligence of their faculty or their students or board members? Okay, so let's define the emotion scientist uh, first. Okay. So the emotion scientist is someone who is open to one's own and others' emotions, who is acts like an, a scientist, an investigator. They're curious, as opposed to the emotion judge, who is making harsh judgments and is in kind of the knower mode versus the learner mode. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify those two things. And then I think the way we assess people's skills is tricky because what we're typically doing is assessing behavior. We're not really getting at the underlying emotion skills that people have. So that's an important distinction is we can guess on their behavior, how emotionally intelligent they might be, but to really measure emotional intelligence, 
you have to get at those five key skills. For example, are you accurately recognizing and understanding and labeling and expressing and regulating emotions? You know, because it's a psychological construct, it's, it's hard to get into people's heads, but yet we make judgments oftentimes about people's emotional intelligence on their behavior. Yeah, I, you know, you're so right. And that made me really think about that part in your book where you're describing how teachers sometimes look at a child who's acting out in the classroom and just judge them as being difficult or not able to learn rather than really kind of dig down and say, okay, well, why would the child be behaving this way? What emotions might they be feeling? Are they frustrated that they don't understand? Is something happening at home that, you know, might really be bothering them? And I think as I was reading your book, I was like, wow, you know, as adults, we don't take that time to sort of give ourselves that ability to look at another adult and say, God, I wonder why that person's behaving that way. We just tend to react. A hundred percent. And I think I was just thinking about conflict management, you know, on a school board. Yeah. And you can imagine there's a lot of conflict in these environments, you know, because we're making difficult decisions. We have to hire and fire people. We have to approve budgets. We have to approve different initiatives. Mm-hmm. And each of us on a board has different values and different belief systems. And then, you know, someone disagrees vehemently or gets activated by someone, you know, and we, you know, oftentimes get activated by that. So what I mean by that specifically is that, you know, when someone starts getting activated and kind of upset about something, the first step in our process is to be aware of how that person's behavior is activating your emotion system. Are you starting to go into judge mode? Oh, they're just, they're just going to disagree with me or they're a jerk. You know, whatever thoughts you have, can you put those thoughts to the side for a moment and deactivate your own activation or emotional arousal so that you could become that scientist as opposed to the judge? Mm-hmm. To me, that's really one of the most critical things for adults in this space. And it's so hard. <laughs> I mean, I just think about my own. It is. And, and it, you know, it takes practice. And, and I feel like, you know, people are always kind of in a rush, like there's so much to do. There's decisions to be made. We're on a time, you know, we have time constraints. But I feel like this work is so important for us, particularly as on boards, like when we're making good decisions. Well, I think what's challenging, you know, especially in this kind of space is that, you know, other biases play into it. For example, we have a confirmation bias. We just want everyone to believe the things that we believe are important. (laughs) So it's like, if I think this initiative is critical, I want everyone to agree with me. And when I'm in that place, I'm not engaging in the best critical thinking because it's like the opposite of emotional intelligence. I'm allowing my emotions to have complete power over me Mm -hmm. as opposed to being in that mode of observation. Right. And I love that idea of being an investigator. And, you know, when you were saying that, that kind of was a perfect segue to my next question, because you present really in-depth research that demonstrates how emotions impact every single aspect of our lives, learning, creativity, decision-making, innovation, strategic thinking, you know, everything that we need to do on the board. Um, Yet so many adults are reluctant to engage in the work of building their emotional intelligence skill set. So I'm curious to hear why do you believe this is the case and which of the ruler components do adults struggle with the most? I think the biggest challenge with adults is that especially, you know, people who are going to be on school boards in, you know, the independent school world are successful people, right? Mm -hmm. People who are doing well in life. So they think to themselves, well, I made it to where I'm at without any training in emotional intelligence. And so that bias happens from the beginning, right? That we're confusing, you know, our success, whatever that means, you know, with having or not having these skills of emotional intelligence. 
And, you know, as I've said before, bullies can be very successful because when you create intimidation and fear in your environment, guess what? People don't, you know, step up and they will just defer to you and unfortunately be miserable, but you can rise to be successful. Not that people on school boards are bullies by any means. But my point is really that it's the same thing that applies and at a different level at with my students at Yale. They say things like, I didn't need emotional intelligence to get into Yale. And I say to them, well, you're going to need it to get out. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this applies, you know, going back to the school board, is that oftentimes people who don't know about emotional intelligence, when they hear about it and they're tested on it, they realize how much they didn't know what they didn't know. And that's a really great eye-opener for people uh, when I test them on their emotion vocabulary or on evidence-based strategies to regulate emotions. All of a sudden, they're like, wow, I didn't even know this was possible. I thought you just had emotions and that whatever happens with them happens. I didn't know there were actually skills to use my emotions wisely. I think that piece of it is probably the most important. I agree with you. And, and I think, you know, as adults, um, and, and I think you touched on this in your book, that we're sort of trained to sort of push down our emotions, right? Like that, that's not, emotions don't have a place in the boardroom or, you know, when we're, when we're making decisions because, you know, we're supposed to kind of cut that part of ourselves off because it'll somehow impede our decision-making. But you really make the case that, no, we can actually make better decisions if we tap into our emotional intelligence. Correct. It's not that emotions themselves are the challenge. It's the emotions without being aware of the emotions. So this we call this sometimes the role of incidental emotions on decision making. So let's imagine you get into a fight, you're irritable with your at home. You know, these school board meetings are typically at night, right? Been a long day at work, you're tired, you're hungry, you're irritable about something that's going to have to be talked about for three hours that you don't really want to talk about. And so you enter in through that feeling state of, let's say, irritation. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, right, you're irritated about your perceptions about what's going to happen, not what actually happened. You're irritated about what happened in the past at home or at work. And all of a sudden, all of your judgments and all of your decisions are colored through the lens of that irritation, but you're not aware of it. And that's the hard part because you're not aware that the emotion that you were feeling previously is leaking into, you know, your current thinking and judgments. And we've done research to show that. And then we show that we can manipulate people's feelings and then it shifts the way they evaluate things. But then when we ask them, do you believe that how you felt had any influence? They say no. <laughs> and we say, but, but look at the data. Like literally you both came in feeling different, differently and your evaluations of that student's work or whatever it might be are completely different based on what you were feeling, but you said um, that you didn't believe that how you felt influenced it. It's this kind of um, unconscious way that emotions influence our thinking and judgments. And that's a, that's a really beautiful example of sort of the, the impact that that can have on, on board culture or workplace culture. Yeah, that's really powerful. So, you know, when you were saying that, it, it kind of reminded me of sort of this, this next idea that I had around, you know, the boardroom can be a really emotionally charged place, right? Because we tell boards that their job is to protect the future from the present, but that can be really difficult when folks are really emotionally invested in the way their schools are running today, or they really become steeped in nostalgia and they want things just to go back to the past. So 
How might the emotion regulation strategies you've researched help trustees develop more effective strategic plans? So that's a big question. I think importantly, school board members should care about how people feel at the school they're governing. And as a director of a Center for Emotional Intelligence, what keeps me up at night is not the cognitive abilities of my directors and managers. Um, It's how they feel when they walk into the door, how they feel throughout their workday, and how they feel when they go home about their work. I think that that would be a a very fresh lens for school board members, for um, heads of school to think about. Do you know how your head of school feels as the head of your school in collaborating with you and working with you? Do you know how the teachers feel who are working in that school? Do you know how the students feel, how the parents feel? So just taking that lens Mm -hmm. can transform the way you think about initiatives. So for example, oftentimes our biggest complaint when we integrate ruler, our systemic approach into a district or into a private school is initiative fatigue. We've done 15,000 workshops and on bias and bullying and conflict management and classroom management and oh, and they're just sort of like burnt out from new things. And then all of a sudden this ruler guy comes in and we have to try to get people to realize that this is not an initiative, that this is an approach to infusing the principles of emotion science into the way leaders lead, teachers teach, students learn, and families parent. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sharing that because I think the lens that school boards might take is thinking about what they want to do in in, in terms of supporting a school, but imagining and being clear about the feelings that people are going to have about the decisions they're making for other people. Yes, absolutely. It actually made me think about like almost like doing a a consequence analysis, right? As you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to make this decision. Who does this impact the most? Who's going to win and who's going to lose in this decision? And then how are those folks? How are they going to feel about that? Yeah. Because their feelings are driving their behavior. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, that definitely resonates. It's very powerful. So speaking of powerful emotions, um, I kind of wanted to get at this idea of vulnerability that you also bring up in your book. And you mentioned that we're all adept at hiding vulnerability, which impedes our emotional intelligence. And so that made me think about the relationship between the, the board chair and the head of school. Because even when there's really high levels of trust, I imagine that a head of school would feel really uncomfortable or worried about being vulnerable with their chair. You know, they might feel like, oh my gosh, this person's going to think I'm underprepared or I'm not ready for my job or I'm not doing my job right. And this is also the person who's evaluating me. So I'm wondering what might be some ways that heads and chairs might navigate this dynamic more effectively. I think part of it is building a culture where emotions matter, where it is safe to share your feelings of disappointment and frustration and overwhelm and anxiety. But you have to know that there are no repercussions for being authentic and real. That's the critical piece of it. You know, for me, um, if I were on a school board, I would want to know if I were, if I, we created this initiative, you know, whatever it was that or wanted to infuse something into the school, I would want to know about the head's feelings about it, right? So if they're feeling slightly apprehensive or anxious about it, that's going to drive the way they communicate that message to the staff and the faculty. And if I knew that that person was feeling a little apprehensive or anxious about it, we could offer them strategies. We could support them. 
because ultimately everybody wants success. So we just have to be aware of the feelings that people are having around the tasks that we're asking them to engage in. It's going to drive a lot of the quality of the work. Absolutely. And, you know, in speaking with, with both, you know, trustees and, and heads and board chairs, you know, that the feedback that I'm, I'm receiving is that, you know, heads are feeling really, they can, or they can feel really overwhelmed with the amount of work and the amount of pressure of, of their jobs and having an outlet or having a safe place to be able to, to share those feelings, I think would be so, so helpful in moving that work forward more effectively. And usually the board chair is that person that, that they are supposed to be speaking with. So as you said, having that culture or that relationship where it's safe to do that is really key. Exactly. And I think, again, you used the word vulnerability earlier. Mm-hmm. is that for some reason we have created this mindset in our nation that feeling nervous or overwhelmed or stressed or pressured or even envious is a bad thing mm-hmm. when it's a natural thing. And it's not that negative emotions are bad. Um, all emotions have um, can be helpful or can get in the way. Excitement oftentimes makes people make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Right, because you don't right. think about all the consequences. You're just like, <laughs> right. "Oh my God, I love this idea. Let's do it!" And right. all of a sudden, everybody it backfires because everybody's like pissed off that you did it. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you're too apprehensive, then maybe you're not going to take any risks. So it's about balancing right the full range of emotions and having the strategies to regulate them. And importantly, it's not just about the self. So emotional intelligence often gets thought of as self-management and reading one's own emotions. This is a very interpersonal community driven skill set. It's about reading your audience. It's about knowing how to infuse emotions into your communication strategy to get people on your bus as opposed to to get them to want to jump off the bus. It's a really good point. And actually, it's a great segue into my last question, which is how might the head of school and the board chair support, in your words, an emotionally intelligent ecosystem on the board? I think the simplest way to think about this is that the most effective way to change a system Mm -hmm. is by transforming the relationships among the people in that system. And if you think of the school board to head of school relationship, it is all about relationships. It's about trust. It's about being authentic. It's about having each other's back. And the question is, what are the strategies that we need to employ in our meetings, in our work together to ensure that people experience the most pleasant emotions the most amount of time. And if you go in with that lens, I think great things can happen. If you go in with the lens, which is, I'm just going to say what I want to say. I don't care how people respond to it because it's my way or the highway. My hunch is that meetings are not going to go as well as you might imagine and that you're not going to be building the best possible relationships because people work hard when they're in positive relationships. Right. I think that's really, that really informs the idea of the board chair spending a lot of time creating a positive board culture and, and being really clear about how decisions are going to be made and being aware of people's communication styles and, and working hard, like you said, at, at building those relationships. And at the same time, you know, if someone is maybe behaving not in the best interest of that particular culture, that that they actually, you know, deal with that person and say, hey, look, you know, you got, as you said, get on the bus, <laughs> because if we don't have a positive culture and we don't have a, 
you know, this sort of emotionally intelligent ecosystem, as you call it in your book, then we're not going to be making the best strategic decisions for our school. Well, and also I think what's critical is that you're not setting, you're not great role models, meaning that, you know, the board and the, how the board feels and how the relationship they have with the, with the head of school trickle down into the way the head of school treats staff and faculty, which then trickles down to how staff and faculty work with parents and their students. If I'm the head of school and I'm living in a chronic state of anxiety because my board is threatening me all the time, I'm not going to be doing great work in my school. Right. Where if I'm a head of school that feels valued and supported and is given a coach if I need it to deal with my own emotional life, it's okay to have a coach, then um, that will trickle down that we're an emotionally supportive school into the way teaching is done, learning is done, leading is done. Excellent. That's a that's a really great point. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. This is incredible. And I know that the insights you shared with us will be very helpful to our members. Thank you very much. Excited to talk with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org. And you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.